Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now, your host, Bela Sebraff on The Definitive Rap. Hello, and welcome to The Definitive Wrap. I am Bela Sebrow. Thank you to Five Town Central for sponsoring this show. Israeli citizens want to live in peace, and they go about their lives doing what they need to do. But unfortunately, there are terrorists who seek to destroy and kill innocent people in terrorist attacks. They do not want to live in peace. On April 7, 2023, three precious, beautiful souls were brutally murdered in a terror attack on the Route 57 highway near the Habra Junction. Rebetzin Lucy D. and her daughters, 20-year-old Maya and 15-year-old Rina, were shot by Palestinian gunmen, identified as Hamas members Hassan Katnani, Muad Masri. The, this murder happened while Lucy, Maya, and Rina were in their car on their way to a family trip. This tragedy shook the world at large. In the face of this catastrophe, the world honors Rabbi D, the widow, widowed husband of Lucy and father of Maya and Rina, for his courage, heroism, and love of mankind regardless of race or religion. We have the honor of sitting here with the esteemed inspirational Rabbi Leo D., the husband of Lucy and father of Maya and Rina. Rabbi D. was born in London, England, educated at Oxford University, and served as a rabbi at the United Synagogue in Redlet before making Aliyah in 2014. Rabbi D., welcome to the Definitive Rap. Thank you. Shalom, Bela. Actually, I was at Cambridge. Lucy was at Oxford. Okay. <laughs> All right. So it's Cambridge. Okay. I, <laughs> I sit corrected. <laughs> Rabbi D, please accept my sincere condolences on your heartbreaking loss of your beautiful wife and daughters. The world is crying with you. Please know that. Please know how much the world honors your unbreakable strength. Rabbi D, when it first happened, when this murder first happened, it was initially reported as a traffic accident. Why was that? Um, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't remember seeing it uh, as a traffic. I, actually, my first fear was that it was a traffic accident because we just bought the new car. We actually had a seven-seater car, which we always took on holiday. And then because we now have three girls, so we had three girls who were driving, um, we changed, uh, we bought another smaller car, which was cheaper to uh, insure for them. And we uh, sold the larger car. So about two or three months before this happened. And I got a very good deal on this car, the white uh, car. And so when I heard about this whole thing, or when uh, actually, but by the time I heard about it, um, and my son actually saw a photograph of the car with a bullet wound, uh, a bullet through the door and blood on the uh, on the bag in the back of the car. 
on a website that uh, apparently shows uh, a terror attacks in real time in Israel. Uh, and we realized it was our car. So, but still through my mind was maybe uh, she'd had a crash because maybe the brakes hadn't worked or maybe, you know, the, the, the uh, airbag hadn't worked. And, you know, on top of everything else, I had this sort of feeling of guilt that I'd saved some money negotiating a good deal on this car. Maybe that had partly paid, uh, played into this. And then it turned out afterwards that um, the terrorists had swerved the car off the road. It pretty much uh, just come to a halt. And then they'd come out and shot them at close range. So nothing really would have helped. Where were you at the time? So we were in a car. We were basically pretty much neck and neck driving up the road. And Lucy took the left turn and we took the right turn, which was pretty much the same uh, amount of time. By the time we heard about it, my sister and my parents were in a car an hour behind. And they told us that their taxi driver had told them there'd been uh, a terror attack on the road and therefore um, he was taking a different route. And she called me to see whether I was okay. And I called Lucy to see if she was okay. And I got no answer. And I called Maya, I called Rina, I got no answer. And I looked on Google Family Link and found that they were at the Hummer Junction. So that was bad news. And then Yehuda saw this photograph on the website for terror attacks. And it was our car and it was, there was blood and there was a bag. And, so we turned straight around and we zoomed back um, and we got there about an hour later and um, we couldn't see anything because they, they kept us away. Right. But I, I said, look, I can't go, I can't leave to go to the hospital to see Lucy if that's, if it was Lucy until I have a complete, you know, until I know hundred percent that it really is our car. So they brought me Maya's ID card and then I knew, and then we just zoomed down to the hospital to see if we could help Lucy in any way. Did you know at the time the circumstances? Um, we didn't know very much. No, I mean, everything sort of came out afterwards and, uh, you know, it's, it's a bit of a blur. Um, and, you know, when these things happen, I suppose people react to different ways, but I became very sort of uh, focused. And um, when I wanted to drive from the scene down to the hospital, the police said, no, we got to drive you there. I said, no, I'm driving myself. And I just drove and that was that. So, um, you know, it's, uh, I think people react to different ways. I, I was working on um, uh, adrenaline. Right, right. Rabbi D, you must know how much the world holds you in high regard. Not only were the organs of your loved ones donated, but one of Lucy's organs saved the life of a Palestinian. There are not enough words to describe the compassion you demonstrate even in such circumstances. You are an earthly angel. You are an earth angel. Rabbi D, I'm just a mortal, not an angel, and I cannot fathom such such valor. Well, but, but, Bailey, a couple of things. First of all, it wasn't a Palestinian. It was an Israeli Arab, uh, which is different. So Palestinian okay. is, is someone who doesn't, is, is not living in uh, Israel, well, is, is living in the in. Judea and Samaria uh, without an Israeli passport. So this guy has an Israeli passport and therefore had the same rights to organ donation as every other Israeli. And by law in Israel, if you donate uh, organs, you can't choose to whom they go. So it wasn't my decision for it to go to him. But since 20% uh, of the Israeli population um, are Muslim Arabs, therefore, statistically, it was likely that out of five organs, one would go to an Israeli Arab. And that's what happened. So but I'm, you, I'm, 
I'm pleased that it did because, uh, as I say, Lucy was very much for um, positive interactions with our Arab neighbours. Um, she sent Maya and Tali to a summer camp in Area C because we're in the, in, in uh, Judea and Samaria, so um, we share territory between you know, our, our supermarket is in Area C. We share it with the Palestinian right. Arabs. And near the supermarket, they set up a summer camp about five, six years ago, and there were Jewish kids and there were Arab kids make, baking cookies together and doing artwork together. And um, Lucy decided to send Meyer and Tali there. I was a bit nervous because I felt that um, if Hamas were to find out about it, they wouldn't be very happy and it could put them in danger. But Lucy said, even so, it's important they get to meet people. And uh, she sent them. You have previously stated that you feel no hatred for the murderers, yet the media, and I'm specifically referring to CNN presenter Christina McFarlane, who stated after her interview with you, and just as we heard from Rabbi Leo's story, coming up we'll hear similar stories from Palestinians. Horrendously mind-boggling. Most human beings watching that were outraged. What was your initial reaction about this moral equivalency? So I'm... I've said to many people I'm, I'm more angry with the response of CNN um, in this uh, whole situation than I was with the terrorists because the terrorists are uneducated, brainwashed from the moment oh, they're right. born, basically robots who press a, a trigger because that's the society in which they're brought up in. Uh, I'm not justifying in any way, and I think that actually all the all the terrorists should be you know should be killed and uh, eliminated. But um, in terms of you know I'm not going to lose sleep over worrying about them. Uh, either way, whereas CNN um, are educated. They have uh, university degrees, many of them from Ivy League universities, um, and um, therefore they are misinforming people on purpose, which is evil. Oh, and yeah. that, makes me, and that, that, make, that makes me angry because they made a moral decision to misinform people about the situation in Israel. And, you know, and it happens in every campus in America, I think in Britain, and in Europe, that if yeah. you were to walk around with an Israeli flag, you would be... Right. Um, Attacked. Whereas if you walk around with the Palestinian flag, um, you would be, uh, you know, encouraged. And um, Israeli speakers are uh, booed off the stage, and Arab speakers are are frequently welcomed. And that's not just by the students; that's also by the academics. Um, so we have, you know, a serious situation on our hands. And I think CNN has a big part in this. You know, um, it's interesting when you mentioned before that um, Palestinians are brainwashed. Um, I watched a documentary. This was this was years ago. Um, this was prior to uh, uh, my preparation for a show um, on Manhattan Cable TV. So I was watching this documentary about Palestinian children in a summer camp um, as they were being desensitized. And one of the methods used um, was tearing live chickens apart in order to desensitize them. It's it's not something that that the average person can can fathom. But, I, but it's, they it's, they uh, they do what they need to do, not just to brainwash them. But this this is a method desensitizing them, and as though life means nothing. Uh, but Bela, I I I look at it very much like um, the Holocaust. I mean, what I've been through is the Holocaust. As people point out to me that Jewish people lost a third of the the Jewish people in the Holocaust. I lost forty four percent of my family, so yes. uh, I did worse than the Holocaust. But um, I think that um, it like just like the Holocaust. You know, I, I, I ask myself the question: How many SS officers were there uh, who actually were prepared to kill other SS officers in order to kill Jews? Uh, 
there are probably 10,000, I'm just guessing, but you know, then there yeah. were probably 100,000 underneath who were scared of their boss killing them. So therefore they killed right. Jews because they were scared. And then under that, probably a million soldiers or whatever the number was, uh, who were, you know, if they refused to do whatever they had to do to the Jews would be told by their boss that, that they, the boss's boss would probably come and shoot them and their families. So really there was a smallish group of, of, of very seriously pathological uh, killers at the top, uh, which is all you need to control. That was a, a country of 30, 40, 50 million people. Um, and the same applies in, um, in Hamas and Fatah and in, in the Palestinian territories. I estimate it's about, uh, from my friends, my Palestinian friends, it's about 3% of the population who are, you know, really uh, the ones who are creating all the problem. Now, people said to me, what about the people dancing in the street and throwing out sweets? So I said, well, you know, if you have one of these pathological guys standing there watching, and he says to you that if you don't dance and throw out sweets, and we're going to you know, massacre your family, so you probably dance and throw sweets out. So the fact that they dance and throw sweets doesn't necessarily convince me that they are themselves evil. Um, but, uh, you know, my father said recently something which uh, shocked me, but was true. He said, you know, his whole life he told me how the Germans were bystanders and how it was disgusting and they were all guilty and so forth. And then about the age of 70-something, he said, you know what? He said, if I was living in Berlin, a Jewish family in Berlin and um, in the middle of the war and some random Jewish family turned up and said, can we sleep in your house? And I knew that my family could be massacred, you know, if they were discovered and my parents and my kids and my cousins and my uncles, and my aunts, um, he said, I'm not sure I would have had the bravery to bring them in. And I think that's very honest. And I think it's true. Yeah. Um, we can be very quick to judge these people, but there are a lot of people living in fear in uh, in Nazi Germany and a lot of people living in fear in Nazi Palestine and in Nazi Gaza and Nazi Iran and Nazi uh, Syria. And um, so the average person wants peace. And then they've got these this top tier of the pyramid who are threatening everybody um, and controlling them and taking all their money as well, by the way. So they're not only are they living in fear, they're also poor. Um, they're slaves to the regime. They have no freedom of speech, no freedom of uh, religion, no freedom at all. So, um, so you know, I, I obviously, you know, what happened to me was terrible. Um, but I do also understand that it happens uh, to a lot of innocent Arabs uh, every day in uh, the 200 million uh, population of the Middle East. Um, it's the norm for them. So you know, it's, it's, we're just like sort of bystanders who get hit in the crossfire. But obviously that's not the message of CNN. CNN is you know, the opposite. CNN said we're causing the problem and these 200 million Arabs are living in poverty and in violence because of us. Right. But it's complete. It's what I call an anti-truth. It's course. not a lie because a lie yes. means that, you know, it's just not right. It's actually taking the truth and converting it oh, to yeah. the and, and blaming the victim and oh, making yeah. the aggressor. Yeah. Uh, the victim and and that's what they do so that is you know it's complete evil did cnn apologize and offer to change its, its portrayal of israel not only that but cnn anchor christiane uh, amanpour called the terror attack a shootout but she she uh, she made an apology by email in which i said to her when you um um, publicly accused my 15-year-old daughter of being a terrorist in front of 100 million people, and then you choose to uh, 
to, to apologize by a, a private email, it has a 0.000001% impact compared to the original message. So she then went on to her show and apologized in a 30 second uh, apology. But I think that had a, about a 0.01% impact. So I, I really wasn't impressed by that either. And I got a call from her boss, who is Richard Green, who is apparently Jewish and the head of the um, Israel Bureau for CNN. And when I said to him, um, uh, would, you know, would you make a moral equivalence between my suffering and that of the mother of the terrorist who was neutralized by the Israeli army in a very moral way in order to prevent further murders from this particular uh, person? He said, um, with all due respect, uh, Rabbi D, we have to differ on that. Um, so this guy showed that he was not only, you know, uh, lacking any moral uh, compass, but as a representative of CNN, that really explained to me exactly how they get to the state that they're in, where they have completely uh, transformed truth into lies and lies into truth. And they perhaps even believe it. I mean, but you know, these are educated people, so I have to assume they're informed and they're just basically lying in order to make a, a profit. You know, educated people that promote evil are even worse than uneducated people because the average person may not pay much attention to an uneducated person who's who's saying something. All right, you know, let them talk. But when an educated person stands up and says something, people listen. And mm-hmm. when it's 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 a person, it's an educated person who perpetuates evil. What horrible effect does that have on the rest of society? Well, it's interesting. I, I was asked to talk about Geula at the great synagogue yesterday in front of 1,000 uh, 18, 25-year-old girls uh, who are going to Midrashah, to seminary. Um, and Geula translates in English to redemption or salvation, which are two words which have no meaning to most people. So basically, it can't be translated. And I think it's fair to say it probably can't be translated into any other language because basically the word Geula is a Hebrew word which is referring to a Hebrew thing, which is a Jewish concept, which is bringing a uh, messianic era and right. making the world a better place, which is such a Jewish concept that it cannot be you know, expressed in any other language. Um, and how do we do that? So I discussed this by bringing more light into the world. And how do we delay Geula? How do we delay this sort of improvement of the world? By, by, uh, by blocking out that light. So people like Christine McFarlane and Christine Amipour and Richard Green and David Zaslav, um, you know, half of whom, actually more than half, uh, half of whom are Jewish, um, are actually you know, uh, blocking the light. And um, they're delaying the world from becoming a better place. And they're actually causing suffering to hundreds of millions of people because they may not be aware of it, but actually those 200 million slaves in the Middle East are slaves because of them, very much because of them. Because when you lie and you and you claim that actually the evil regime is Israel that's holding back their progress and 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 the terrorists are able to feed off these lies, um, it perpetuates these uh, terror regimes that cause suffering to hundreds of millions of people. So it's all backfiring on you know whatever their agenda is. Um, if it's to make Jews suffer, then it it doesn't work. I mean, except for me and my family. Um, and Christine McFarlane said. Um, Rabbi D, hasn't it been one of the worst years for terror in Israel this year? And I said to actually, Christina, it's been a very statistically very low year for, for terror in Israel. Unfortunately, statistics didn't help me this year. 
But the fact is that really the chances of being killed in a terror attack in Israel is lower than being killed in, in stabbing on the uh, New York underground, on the subway, uh, or in the London streets uh, at night by uh, a stabbing attack. Um, and the life expectancy in Israel, by the way, is five years longer than that of America and three years longer than that of Britain. So despite this terrible you know, surge of terror, which killed 19 people in three months, you know, which is less than probably one bus bus uh, uh, crash. Um, you know, actually, life in Israel goes on and is better than it's ever been, but not for us at this point. Obviously. That's what happens when someone goes through a tragedy. It, life goes on for the rest of the world, but not for the person, not for the survivor. That's partly true. I mean, the, the, you know, I, I said to my kids after the, the Shloshim, after 30 days of mourning, um, I said, we're entering phase two of our lives. And I said, you know, phase one was two parents and five kids, and we were happy. And phase two is one parent and three kids. And we'll also be happy, but in a different way. Rabbi D, please tell us about your beautiful wife and daughters. What were they like? Mm. Um, it's difficult for me to say without crying. Um, so I'm very having brief. a hard time speaking. I, my, yeah. my voice is, throughout this interview, I, you know, my voice I'll, keeps I'll, cracking. I'll, I'll I, you know, it's, the, it's the, hard for the, me the, even to, to, even in the beginning in my introduction, it was so hard for me to, to speak. And, and as I said to you before the interview that I wish it was under different circumstances. So, um, I'll, I'll speak very briefly. I actually had a three-hour interview with Marif newspaper um, where she asked me in detail about them, and I was in tears for three hours. Um, I asked her if she could translate it and put it into the Jerusalem Post because they own the Jerusalem Post, so hopefully we'll go in there as well in a week or two's time. So you'll find out a lot more about, about them then. But um, very briefly, I mean, Lucy um, was a light. Her name meant light. How long were you married? 25 years. And Maya's name meant um, water of God, uh, which basically refers to Torah. And she loved studying Torah. And she started a project in the high school that she was uh, volunteering at for her national service in Yerucham which was very much Maya, um, Thursday morning break uh, for, for, for um, ninth grade girls. She introduced something called Nishnosh Pash, which means um, Pasha with, with a snack. And um, she would I'd buy, I think with her own money, some snacks for the kids. And then she would prepare a one page um, Pasha, you know, something about the weekly uh, portion. And she would discuss it with them and then they would have a little snack and 15 minutes passed and it would be a way they could spend the break together. So when we went down to Yerucham last week, I went with Karen, they showed us that they've now um, spread this initiative to 560 uh, high schools in Israel. Um, and now it's being done in most of the high schools in Israel as a Thursday break time in memory of Maya. So I, I, said, I said to them, if we could explain it to the American public. Maybe we could get American high schools to do this as well. That would be another very uh, appealing uh, way to remember Maya. 
how did um how did the neighbor your neighbors uh, your Arab neighbors react? Did you, did they offer support? What was so the, the, what was it like been, for you? So I mean, house, I know that Israelis. Yeah, the, the, the Israelis have been amazing. All my neighbors have been fantastic. We haven't had to do anything, make any food, do anything, lift a finger for you know for a few months, and um, they've offered to cook for us for the whole year and and uh, have Shabbos invitations and and invitations every you know every every minute. Um, the um, my Palestinian friends were absolutely amazing. I have to say that um, the. Um, you know, the moment they heard about it, they left messages on my WhatsApp. I could play to you probably, but I don't want to reveal who they are because they're scared not to be identified. Right. Sobbing um, more more than my Jewish friends. And they came to the, the Shiva house secretly and sat they in did. the back room with me. Really? Um, and when the chief rabbi came, I had to keep him waiting for 10 minutes because I had about 10 of them sitting there. Right. Um, and I, I didn't want to sort of abandon them. Um and um, yeah, my my garage mechanic, who is uh, in Area C, so just outside of a frat, has a magnet of uh, Lucy and the girls with the three questions that, on it, which is being distributed here. Which is like, what did you do for someone today? What did someone do for you today? What did Hashem do for you today? He has it on his wall. He said to me, "Would any chance you can make these in Arabic? Because a lot of my friends want them." So I've asked uh, a guy in a uh, frat, Jerry Latinic, who um, is probably from your part of the world, and um, he he's organizing it. My neighbor, his son his, uh, speaks Arabic, so he's translated it. Um, my neighbor's wife is a graphic designer, so she's sort of putting it around the thing. And soon we'll have a thousand of these magnets in Arabic mm. being distributed around Bethlehem. Bethlehem. So uh, I'm just to give you an idea that they're not putting up pictures of the three martyrs, as they, as right. they call them in Atlas. They're putting up pictures of my wife and the, the girls. So uh, uh, this also is helped by the fact that um, I met, I was introduced to a an imam uh, of the mosque in Haifa, uh -huh. who's one of the most the kindest people I've ever met, and he came to pay you know uh, his respects after the shiva, and we've become friends. And um, he videoed me uh, three minutes uh, speaking about how I love the Palestinian people and I hate the terrorists and the Hamas and their leadership and uh, you know my dream would be for them to overturn them and so we could live in peace and he took that video he translated it into Arabic subtitles and he put it on his own personal Facebook which goes to about a million people in Gaza and in the Palestinian territories um, he then went on to national Israeli Arab TV I think it's called Makan and he said publicly which has not been done before I think uh, or not that often he said, any, any Arab uh, family that does not explain to their kids that what happened is a tragedy um, is teaching their kids to become murderers. Wow. He said it in those words. So, wow. so this, this guy, so I'm saying, so, so people, you know, are behaving in ways which are very different to how you might expect. And right. uh, there's some very, very good people out there. Yes. And there's oh, some God. very bad people out there. But, uh, you know, the, the trick in life, I think, is to try and work out who's who. Uh, and, and as I say, you know, Shalom... Um, that's my sort of goal in life. Basically, I, I wrote a book about this called "Transforming the World: um, The Jewish uh, uh, Impact on Modernity," which is available on Amazon. Um, and in it, I explain about shalom. I say that basically every every uh, thing that Jews do is there to lead to shalom, and I explain how. And um, what is what is shalom? It's, it's taken me time to understand that it's not peace. You see, peace is like a mosaic, which has lots of square pieces that fit together and make a nice picture. But every piece is basically the same shape. 
And then, and uh, shalom is then more like a jigsaw puzzle where the pieces are completely different shapes, but they fit together also very nice and create a nice pattern. So, you know, in peace, first of all, everyone has to conform to whatever the peaceful nation wants them to do, mm. um, which is rather inconvenient if, you know, if it's a Christian nation and you're not Christian or a Muslim nation, you're not a Muslim. So that's what peace is. But um, when it comes to um, shalom, you can you can have your religion and you can have your culture and you can do right. whatever you want. Right. But as, I, as, I, as I'm now explaining it, you know, if you ever try making a, 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 a jigsaw puzzle on a tablecloth, you know, when you get to the bumps uh, of the tablecloth, then yeah. the pieces don't fit together. So actually, right. in order right. to, you need, in order a to make sur- you need a smooth surface, you need a smooth surface. You have yes. to iron out the bumps. So right. you basically have to get rid of the terror, the terrorists and the terror uh, states and the fascists and the people who don't play, you know, this, are, not, are not interested in your jigsaw puzzle. You've got to eliminate them. Um, and then you can make a beautiful jigsaw puzzle. So that's uh, basically uh, a, a uh, a plan for shalom which i don't think has been investigated up until now so now i and this imam actually together are coming up with something which we think could actually be quite um innovative in in the in the sphere of shalom and by the way their their word salam is is based on our word of shalom and and um they have very similar connotations yes, yes. Yeah. rabbi d how are you doing up and down as you've seen so I'm I'm uh, I'm about to go to my acupuncturist um, later on today, which yeah. I I found very uh, therapeutic. So uh, I'm a very scientific person, but um, another friend of mine who's very scientific engineer um, swore by it. He said that in England he went to this guy once for back pain, and he cured him. So uh, he said, try it out. So I've been now, and this guy's making a, a massive. I mean, I've been twice, and it's had a massive impact on me. So I'm going to keep going and hopefully that will help. Um, and I'm seeing, you know, they put, they said you have a psycholo- psychologist. Um, so the kids are seeing psychologists. I'm seeing somebody tomorrow for the first time. Um, and um, we shall see. So, yeah, we're being very well looked after. The state of Israel, um, you know, is the opposite to pay for slay. That the state of Israel looks after its victims very, very well. And Jewish people look after us very well. And, you know, everybody's doing whatever they can do to help. Rabbi D, thank you for joining us. Please know how much the world honors your unbreakable strength and courage after such unspeakable tragedy. May the beautiful souls of Rabbi Sindi, Maya, and Rina have the highest aliyah as they are surely soaring in Ghanadin and watch over you and your family. May Hashem comfort the cherished memories and comfort you as as you deal as you deal with this it there are no words there there are just no words there are no words okay thank you thank you thank you to our audience for tuning in thanks for listening to the definitive rap with your host bela zebra Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can catch the definitive rap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Rap.